we pick where we're comfortable, right? But as you say, walking the path of a warrior, it's like continually being willing to break our belief systems. And that in itself requires so much courage. And so when I see those boys, I knew that a lot of them might be in jail for the rest of their lives. But when I would hear that some of them would breathe in their room and like know that they could breathe instead of hit someone or would play around with a pose or I would see a guy like trying, 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 trying to get into a pose and even though we were moving on, I'd give him the wink like, you keep working on that pose because you're gonna get into it and then he would. And just to see like, they're like, yeah, like we're so strong. But really, I think they love Shavasana the most. That was Shannon Larson, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Here we go, you guys, episode 104 of the YTP. I'm Jess, I am your host. And this is the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. And we do this with the intention that someone, somewhere, maybe more than just one, will realize that we're never alone. Even though our paths are so very unique, the essence of what inspires us is the same, and what prevents us from following our heart's desires are undeniably universal. It is here that we hope to assist people in realizing purpose by first taking note of what lights us up from the inside and then keeping those lights in the on position. Whether purpose becomes our profession or our hobby, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that we fully understand that we are not here just to go through the motions. We are here by choice and that there is a part of us, yes, it is within each one of us that holds a deep desire to wake up. And this, my friends, is the Awake and Ready Life. It is the warrior path. It is filled with miracles and intensities and it requires courage and it always includes fear. It is the path to unleashing our power within and realizing our fullest expression in this life. It is the secret weapon for athletes. And it is a part of our mission here at YT to change the face of athleticism and bring into the mainstream that training just the body is not enough. And that mental training is not about pushing through. It's about the calm power of mastery. Today's guest is not only living her awake and ready life, but she is facilitating it for others through her teachings of yoga, meditation, and the practical application of trauma-sensitive connection to identified populations and the human race at large. The best way to describe Shannon is through the words of her grandmother. She is here to love where others are scared to go. Having taught yoga in the lockdown units of juvenile prison and being told that her beautiful eyes were to be scratched out, Shannon remains neutral and in pursuit to connect with all beings. Populations of people who others consider no good to the world is where she thrives, and today she gives us an inside view into the other side of crime. Just about the worst things you can imagine is how she describes the crimes committed by her yoga students, but that is not what she sees. She is wise to know that underneath our suffering, no matter how that is expressed, are beautiful beings who seek peace and calm in their lives. This is exactly what she delivered to the boys that she taught yoga to, sang songs to, and connected with for over four years. Shannon now takes everything that she has learned and applies that to her everyday classes with the understanding that she never knows where or what people are coming from when they enter into her classroom. To always lead with love and to never lose sight of our interconnectedness are her focuses. She shares the tragically beautiful story of a dear friend who recently left this world and how mindfulness and meditation are incredible tools for experiencing grief. As well as the lasting impression this young man left on her life, and I have to say on my own life just through learning his story, I think you may agree after listening to this conversation that death is worthy of our love. 
Shannon is the epitome of what we like to call an inner badass, and we're really excited to share her story with you. I certainly cannot reference the term inner badass without thinking of our incredible team of athletes here at Yogi Triathlete, so I want to take a moment to welcome another team member on board. Rachel just recently joined Team Yogi Triathlete after listening to the podcast and feeling the connection to what we are serving up. We're super fired up to be working with Rachel as BJ preps her to torch the Twin Cities Marathon in October and then on to Ironman Wisconsin 2019. Oh yeah, she is going to be awake and ready, rocking her well-trained body and mind on these courses. I cannot wait to see her progression. The team is growing. Drop us a line if you want to be a part of a super powerful team of athletes who are going for way more than just a finish line. All right, you guys, let's do it. Episode 104 with the lovely, passionate, wise, and talented teacher, musician, and ally for all, Shannon Larson. I used to put my whole playlist together, put the sequence together, and practice my whole sequence with the playlist. It's a lot of work. Until I realized, but wait, I have some vocabulary in my mind. So I only took notes in the beginning, but I was, it was nervy every time. But I think that's healthy sometimes too, right? Even though I felt like I naturally wanted to teach yoga or, or share that space, hold that space with people, I still was like, oh, and mm-hmm. like how did that go? Until eventually I could be like, eh, you can't win them all. So if there was an off class. And so I remember my, um, my first studio owner, who was amazing, who was so hard on me, and anybody who, who knows me knows exactly who I'm talking about, um, and I love him dearly. He was so, so hard on me, but also gave me an opportunity. Like, I got my certificate, he texted me and was like, get insurance, you're teaching tomorrow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? But I remember he said to me, you know, you know you've know, you arrived when the first person in, in your class rolls up their mat and walks out and you're okay with it. Yeah, that like, is Oh my God, true. thank God I got that first one over with because there's been, there's been many over the years. Or the class where they're just halfway through, <laughs> Shavasana, they just all started walking out one by one by oh, one. Yeah. Oh yeah, I had one not too yeah. long ago. Yeah. Um, not too long ago where there was 11 people in class and nine people left during Shavasana. Wow. It was the, it was the craziest thing. It wasn't even thing. a long Shavasana. It was just at a place where they don't really do Shavasana. Mm. And um, I tend to... I tend to do Shavasana. I tend to give good Shavasana, um, I think. It's good. Uh, But I understand how that is. Like, and that's, that's, I think, the beauty of what yoga has taught me is like, I get you. I get those nine people that walked out because when somebody first told me to lay still in, in silence, I, I would have rather had like toothpicks put in my eyelids. Yeah. Silence and stillness. I remember the first time I had to really practice meditation. It was in my first training. I think we did a 12 minute meditation. It might've even been seven minutes. And I remember being like, Oh God, this is eternity. Mm-hmm. And now I, now I can laugh at myself and I'm so thankful now that I can sit in stillness and I actually love stillness in a way that I didn't before, but it is. I remember someone saying that Shavasana is really one of the most vulnerable poses and you learn a lot about somebody based on how they respond to that space. So I've had a lot of classes where people are coming at lunch and they need to leave and they want to get in the showers and they want to leave. So I've had half of classes leave and sometimes I invite them if they can stay for a couple minutes to stay just so that they get that little bit of experience. But 
It is definitely interesting. If I had everybody but one person leave, I'd give them the like full adjustment. <laughs> like, congratulations. <laughs> You just get yourself a full body massage. <laughs> and hopefully it's okay. <laughs> so what, I, I love that you said that about meditation. Like you were like, it was 12 minutes. It might've been seven minutes and it just felt like forever. So it, I think, I believe that 99.9% .9 of people like abandon meditation because they think that their mind's too busy or, you know, they can't slow down. Or they're not achieving their goals. Like they have expectations and it's like today was bad and yesterday was bad. So yeah. I got I to gotta regroup and come back because I'm not achieving a goal. Yeah. And it's easy to look at, you know, you love meditation now. You, you still know, tricky. Sometimes mm -hmm. I don't oh. love it, right? I heard you say you get up at 4.30 in the morning to meditate some yes. days. I was like, oh, I don't really do that. Rare. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I was up at 4.25 this morning and it was, it was hard to get out of bed. But I just... I had my own meditation teacher in my head, which is now in my voice, that's like, be up, be mm -hmm. up. What is 20 minutes of sleep going to do? Nothing. Yeah. What's 45 minutes of meditation going to do? Everything. Get up. True. That snooze is a habit. And we're finding that more and more. It's just a habit to hit the snooze. And we have talked to people who've been hitting it like, they don't remember how many times they hit it. They've hit it so many. Yeah. And again, it's just, it's that habit. Just be up. That's be, really up. Like it's, be up. It's, it's. And I need it for me and my personality. I need it in that that tough love tone, like be up, mm -hmm. get up now, you know, and, and that gets me up. And then I put a cold, I have my little ritual of like as cold as I can get it, a nice rag on my like washcloth on my face and I pat my eyes and then I'm a little coconut oil on the face and then I'm like, all right, guess what? I'm up. Like it's happening. Yeah. Um, so... With meditation, and I think it's easy to look at people like you or me or BJ and say that, oh, God, they love it. It's easy for them. But so what do you have to say to people who say, I can't do it. I tried to do it. It didn't work for me. Um, you know, it's not my thing. I like to invite people to think of it as an experiment. And I often say that I like to experiment on myself and just see what happens. Maybe pick even five minutes, set your timer for five minutes or put on the same peaceful music so that you start to Pavlov yourself, you know, classical conditioning so that as you hear, so you have your morning routine, probably now your body knows, oh, the cold washcloth, it's time for me to focus and get ready to meditate. And I say at the beginning of any class that I'm leading that's a meditation class, Remember, every day is different. Try not to have an expectation. Don't have an expectation for your mind to be clear or your mind to be busy. Just notice it and recognize that gaining self-awareness or working on your emotional intelligence is an easier thing to focus on than am I going to become enlightened and uh, have a blank mind for even one minute. So there's a meditation that I love that it says, if your mind wanders a hundred times in one minute, let it and just come back to the breath. And that is a lot of life, right? Wandering, wandering, wandering. So it seems so inaccessible. And I remember when it felt so inaccessible to me as well, but it's just like the physical asana. It's just like training for a triathlon. It takes practice. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because we haven't put as much emphasis on the mind, although I see that we're starting to more, but there have been studies hundreds of years, I believe, where they recognize the relationship between mind and body, or even, uh, but there's this separation between also 
science and spirituality, but I don't think they're actually that separate. I think that we're just starting to realize how connected all of these things are. So over time, I believe that we'll probably start to give it a little more space and realize that it's not an immediate thing, but we're like a go, go, go society, right? Yeah. We want to be good at things right away. And I, that was very much me, perfectionist. I still, you know, have tendencies and want to be successful at things, but I had a very hard time. The thing about yoga in general that was good for me is I couldn't just do a pose. I had to work up to it. And I had always been very active, you know, running, bicycling, hiking, but I didn't stretch, which is hilarious because I was an exercise science major. <laughs> and I knew the statistic was 70% of people are poor in their flexibility testing. Do as I but, say, not yeah. as I do. Yeah, yeah. I'm one of them. <laughs> I took a class in college and I was like, ah, this isn't for me. Yoga is not for me. And now I've been teaching yoga for seven years, maybe more. I, I love what you said about sitting in meditation and not having an expectation that your mind's going to be able to be quieted, but also not having an expectation that it's going to be busy. Yeah. So I was listening to this thing the other day. I can't remember what it was, but this gentleman was, he got up to ask a question and he said, well, I worry about my kids all the time. I worry about my kids all the time. And so the facilitator said, well, tell me, let's dig into that. Tell me about that right now. What are you worrying about with your kids? And he goes, oh, I can't really go there because right now I'm not worried about them at all. Hmm. <laughs> and she was just like, okay, does anybody else have a question? Because I think that one's been answered, right? These, yeah. these, these stories that we tell ourselves, uh -huh. these labels, and, and, you know, I like to say, like, another, another phrase for labels is cages, like bars on the cage. You know, yeah. we just, we put ourselves in these little cages and... And they say that, you know, the, the freedom out of a cage for a lion is the space in between those mm. bars. And so if we can get a little bit more space in between those bars and we can yeah. start to look at them and maybe they're not as strong as we think they are. Maybe we do have one second of peace in a meditation. And to me, that's a victory. Yeah, I agree. That's a blessing. That's the count and counting those blessings. I and mean, if we wander a hundred times in meditation... Well, that's a hundred times we probably came back. Right. Right. You know, that we noticed we were wandering. Mm -hmm. And the moment that we realize we're not present, we're present again. Right. It's so simple. When I hear students say, I'm bad at yoga, I'm bad at meditation, I say, there's not really any bad. There's no bad. There's just where you're at. There's this instructor in Willow Glen that owns a studio. His name is Kent Bond. And I remember taking one of his classes and I told him, hey, I took a class and I, I did some things that didn't really, I didn't, I wasn't sure they were safe in my body, but I was trying to be open-minded and my knees bothering me today. And he kind of scolded me like, why, why did you do that? You're a teacher. Like You should be listening to your body. And I was like, you're right. And in that moment, it was like I was maybe far away from my, my intuition or my space. So maybe I wasn't present or I wasn't present with myself. But something that he shared in a training that I took of his on anatomy or just a few hour class workshop is that we have this idea that we want to get into the furthest pose and that maybe if we message that actually a modification of the pose is the most advanced posture, people will be more like, oh yeah, you know? And I think that's the same with the mind. It's the same with poses. And I was like, oh, what a trick. Like that's such a good little piece to take. Like, you know, maybe... 
uh, instead of taking a forearm balance today, our most advanced posture today is dolphin pose, right? And so that people know that they're working up to that, but really the, the most advanced posture is the one that's the like our edge at that moment in time. And our minds, I believe, are the same at, at any given moment in time. It might be shifting too. So it's important to find the same compassion that we try to find in our physical bodies for our mental bodies because that's just the way of like we go forward sometimes we come back or we go forward but it's never really going back if you're aware like you said oh I was aware that I wasn't present so maybe my mind's all over the place but at least I had that awareness and then I think it helps us get more in touch with all of the things like our intuition of what is right for us not only on the map but in life you know and that intuition gets strengthened in that silence yeah, it really does. And, you know, science does have our backs, which is amazing, you know, neural pathway development and how we can change our brains. And you had said something about science and spirituality, how there's so many similarities. Mm-hmm. And they are because if you look at, you know, yoga, it is a science. But I find that where physical science, as in like scientists and researchers, where they end, we don't end. Spirituality doesn't end because we're right. not we're not focused on data and information. Right. We're going one step higher into wisdom. And right. wisdom is gained through hanging out in the unknown. Mm-hmm. Right? Which, how do you quantify that? Right? Exactly. <laughs> the right? blank spaces, the space between the thoughts. How do you put that as a statistic? Right? <laughs> exactly. It is difficult. But I think that for those especially that want something concrete to guide them into the unknown it's helpful that there's so much research now showing that these practices that are deemed new agey or you know so spiritual and not practical are actually bridging the gap so that even those that feel like they need the facts and the analytics then maybe it'll take them to a point where they're just comfortable enough to ask what if I know it's amazing and I think it's all the master divine plan too right like I'm sure it's the higher power going yeah all right let's get some data and information for these peeps because clearly they need (laughs) it and I needed it too you know I needed I needed big shift in my life and um, big aha moments to to get me to where I am today so let's talk a little bit about your story you became how long have you been teaching I want to say seven plus years Kind of lost track. That's good. 2010. It's a good thing. You're losing time. Losing time is not a bad thing. (laughs) Losing time, gaining grace, wisdom. (laughs) My first teacher said that she works hard. She worked hard for her gray hair. (laughs) You're gonna go. Your gray is gonna be really good. You know, with your hair. I've I've had a few, and I pull them out. I was told you're not supposed to, but I don't know. I'm just like I just want to pull that out. (laughs) You know that stuff's gonna grow back like tenfold. (laughs) Is that true though? I don't know. I'm 46 and I really haven't started to go gray, so I'm pretty. Oh, no, I know. There's a couple. There's one that's coming out of my temple, which is weird. Don't pull it out. (laughs) Don't pull it out. Leave (laughs) it there. Just admire it. Leave it there. Just because you're a silver fox. Yeah, silver fox. That's what they call that. (laughs) That's a silver fox. Salt and pepper. Um, Okay, back to the (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Next episode. (laughs) Um, You've been teaching for seven and a half years, and really what I want to dive into is teaching in lockdown units of juvie. Um, yes. Where does that, where is that born? Because you said something, I went to your workshop the other night, you did a, an incredible um, workshop on trauma sensitivity and uh, working with yoga and talking about meditation and communication. It was really helpful, and it was super helpful for 
you know, I'm not working in a lockdown unit, but I'm working with a lot of people and, and we never know where people are coming from. And I'm going to digress for one second because there was a guy in BJ's yoga class last night who had never done yoga before. And he was, he was struggling. Like there were times like he tumbled out of the pose and went like, kind of had like a walk around the room. Yeah. Just to gather himself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and BJ like gave him like a fist pump at the end or whatever, which I think it's so awesome that you're like a guy teaching yoga. I think that's, I think it's so inviting for these people. And he just said to BJ, he said, I really, but why don't you tell it? I always need to tell it. (laughs) He came up to me after he said, I really needed that because I was going to hit a guy today. Uh I was going to hit him. He was just smiling, but then he just like walked away. But it was like in that moment, I had no idea. I just thought he was just trying to like get his, you know, get into the pose because most, I'll generalize here, most guys are in yoga and they want to like be the best. They want to be the best. They see the poses that these women are doing and they're amazing. So why can't they do it? And so he just kept pushing and pushing to get into it. And he was tumbling out. And I just thought maybe, you know, he's just, the ego was getting the best of him. But yeah, afterwards it was just, it dropped. Because I was talking to someone, he just interrupted. And so he, he clearly like, just had like a lot of aggression. Because yeah. I could out. hear him. He was kind of like beside me, but I, I could just hear him like his skin hitting them in the ground. Like he was just oh, yeah. kind of rolling the whole time. Yeah. It was like rough and tumble. But those are the people like that, that, keep me coming back for yoga. Yeah. And we just never know where people are coming from when they walk into that room. Like, you know, I was saying like I teach Saturday mornings at Yoga Bound and I walk down and I make sure I have a lot of time. Not everybody's walking into my class like that. They didn't meditate in the morning or maybe they did. I don't know. But we just don't know. And so that workshop was really, really helpful. And I want to talk a little bit about that just for how that can be helpful for everyone, for our daily communication. But let's dive into the boys. Sure. So I received my yoga certification when I was living in Los Angeles. And at the time, I was working for a nonprofit called Playworks. It's nationwide. You work with underserved youth, teaching positive skills, respect, play, um, a healthy play, healthy community, respect, and inclusion are like very big pieces of that nonprofit. And so I got to work with a lot of communities. And I think... Partially because I had worked with youth in Chicago, I worked with youth in San Jose, I worked with youth in LA, and when I was in LA, I was managing, so I would meet a lot of different students in different schools. So I was anywhere from Watts to Huntington Park to close to Pasadena to downtown LA. Our office was in Inglewood. So just a lot of diverse communities and where some of the students there, they had siblings that were incarcerated or they had family members and a lot of gang community as well. So I think I just always, I was never really afraid. My grandmother would tell me that, um, she'd say, Shan, God made you to not be afraid to love where other people are afraid to go. And I thought that was so beautiful because I can see that I... I feel like since I was young, I always just wanted to understand people, but understand them from a place where it would help me know how to connect more with them, not to think that I was better or they were better, but just so that we could realize we are more connected than not. So after I got my certification, I knew that I had to resign from the nonprofit because I was really invested. And I, if I never left the nonprofit, I probably wouldn't tried to teach yoga full-time and I really felt like I was being called to do that so I kind of joked around like oh I'm going to teach in in prisons or jail but after a year of teaching in LA I moved back up to the Bay Area and I found this nonprofit called the Art of Yoga Project which works with 
the girls that are incarcerated. So I contacted them and I was like, hey, I would really love to see if I can get on board and work with these girls. And at that time they weren't hiring anyone. And I remember they said, well, you could come shadow. So I got to shadow at a facility that wasn't the hall, but it was kind of like a camp where some of the kids went and they had a two-year program there. And I went down to shadow a class and I remember there was a girl and she said, I like your eyes. Your eyes are pretty. And I said, thanks. And she said, I'm going to scratch them out. And my response was like, I need those eyes though. Like I didn't, I wasn't affected by it. And I remember afterwards, the lady that I was shadowing with, she called like the founder or the site director. And she was like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to bring her on board. I think because she could tell I wasn't intimidated. And so I first started with the girls, but shortly into working with the girls and they have a curriculum and they do a lot of wonderful work up in the Bay Area, the Art of Yoga Project. The, my site director, I sat down with her and she said, you know, the hall has been asking for someone to work with the boys, but the Art of Yoga Project is just women serving the girls. And they keep asking. And she said, I know that you have background in youth work with both. So if you want to be connected with a programs person, go for it. Like I could connect you. And I said, yeah, and I'm not doing any community service. So I figured it was probably free and I, I didn't care. I wanted to just go and see what I could do. So I met with the man overseeing that, um, that particular thing at the time. And I think it was probably funny as I, I walked in and my long curly hair was down and I was dressed in my regular day clothes and he kind of sat me down with like, okay, so I want you to realize a few things they might. And I was like, I know they won't give a shit, right? Like they're not going to care. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, and also, you know, they're young boys. I'll wear sweats and put my hair up. And he was like, okay. And then basically the conversation went, we don't know if this is going to work, but one of the counselors has been teaching the lockdown unit, the older boys. So they had two lockdown units, which are the the most severe offenses that you're there and you basically are in your room unless there's an approved program or you're in school and the younger boys were a different unit but the older boys so they usually are there until they're 18 or get transferred or go to main jail some of them get released their teacher had been teaching them tai chi and they seemed to really like it so he was like can we get yoga in here I think they're ready so just over conversation I was like yeah let's try it I'll come in once a week and the, I went during PE time, the PE teacher was on board and the, I think it was the first time I went in. And what are these boys incarcerated for? They are in there for anything from armed robbery to murder. And I wasn't supposed to know what they did and I didn't want to know because I want to greet people like it's the first time I've ever met them, not based on their past. And so I heard, I heard a few stories of what some, some of them were in there for, but, you know, probably the, the most intense things you can think are possibilities are, are things that they're in there for. So as you can imagine, when people found out I was going in there and volunteering, I got a lot of interesting response, which I shared some of that in the, the training the other night, that I heard things like, they should be euthanized, like it's a lost cause, they should be ripped apart by animals. Um, they need a mother. 
maybe you can do that, but I couldn't. And I just thought it was interesting that there was so much judgment around something that they didn't know. And come to find out years later, they're like my, my boys. They were like my dudes. And so I could understand that had they been in my position and they had met them and realized they are beings that have had a lot of situations that have perhaps influenced where they were at that time, they, they weren't hopeless in my eyes. So I went in there the first time and I just set the expectation, hey, I, I'm here to teach you yoga. It really helped me with my mind and my body and I want to share that with you, but you'll, you'll tell me if I'm going to keep coming or not because I don't want to waste your time or my time. So let's see how it goes. And a bunch of staff members were in the first couple of weeks because I think they were like, <laughs> let's see how this is going to go. But it worked. Like They were pretty into it. And when I say it worked, I mean, it didn't work at the same time. I think because it was just me, I just tried to fill out the space. And every day is different, just like our own bodies and our own minds. But if you take into consideration what it might feel like to be an animal in a cage, as one of the teens said to me one time, I don't know how I would feel. You know, like I might not, I might not want to do a pose and I might not want to try to breathe. So I really tried to tailor it each day differently. And I always said I would go in there until I was sure that I shouldn't. I stayed until I got a phone call from the new principal in the school saying, I want to let you know that people have been advocating for you. So this is like really amazing. But I didn't know that there was a yoga program happening during school in the PE time. So we were in a meeting and someone said something about the yoga program. And I said, what yoga program? And then I found out, which the truth is like, they knew me in the hall because I talked to everybody. Like, I'm such a community, like, rapport and community. That's the only way we're going to get anywhere, right? So I would talk to everybody I would walk past in those halls to the point where they just knew who I was every day I came in. At the front, they'd be like, oh, hey, yoga lady's here. And they like, buzz me in. And <laughs> so it was funny that I was, a, like, sort of a secret, but also everybody, like, around all the time was there. So I took a break, but I have so many stories. And I, I used to tell the boys, you know, we'd do check-in and check-out questions. And they'd say, I want to know what you have to say and to share because if you are in this space and you feel like you can't speak like I could share for you like I could share you know things when I'm in training so a couple years ago when I led the trauma sensitive uh, portion of a teacher training I asked the guys what do you want me to say and they'd say things like we hate the warriors <laughs> I was like which war which one <laughs> all of them <laughs> but they also would say things like I'm a good man I'm a changed man I'm honest thank you for bringing music in and thank you for shavasana thank you for I mean I had a kid say I'm he no he mentioned his third eye and I was like what and he's like, well, yeah, I'm opening up my third eye. I said, how do you, how do you know, how do you know about that? And he started talking about chakras, and he's like, we have a lot of time to read in here, ma'am. <laughs> and then we talked about like spirituality and science and energy, and and he was very aware. So some of those boys, uh, the crazy thing is, is that I was so consistent. And then the day I got the phone call from the principal, he said, you can't go back in unless until you get re-screened and re-fingerprinted and take a training. And at that time in my life, my schedule was so busy. I just, I knew it was time for me to give myself a break because so much energy is required. But um, I wrote them all, I wrote a Valentine and I just dropped it off in the hall so that the counselors could read it to them so they would know what was going on. But over the four almost five years that I was in there. A lot of shifts happened, but um, 
they were one of my like my fa- one of my favorite classes to attend every week because they were my teacher as well. They would sing me happy birthday, but they would sing happy birthday home girl. Cause they said, do you want the homey version or the regular? I said the homey version, of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so happy birthday home girl. And when I would take my guitar in and sing, they'd sing along. I also think it showed a lot about their spirits when I would take requests. A lot of them were very sappy love songs, which like in their hearts, like that's, that is a big part of their heart. So yeah, that's how that happened. And eventually I wasn't working with the girls anymore and just the boys because I felt like I wanted to devote my time to them once a week. And I think yeah. it's interesting how they didn't how they didn't like the warrior poses. And we were talking the other night at the at your workshop about what poses would we see as like maybe some that would trigger and ones that wouldn't trigger and one of the ones that we thought would be more of like a positive, more of less triggering would be warrior because we all felt like it was really powerful. Mm -hmm. But I think, I believe that it's very scary to feel powerful. Mm. It can be really Mm -hmm. scary to feel powerful. And, and also physically warrior is not super easy because there's a lot of intensity that comes into the body. And my experience of walking this warrior path, I say without hesitation is how I live it's very scary and it oh, takes yeah. a lot of strength. Mm-hmm. And every time you take a step forward, you get more powerful. And yeah. there can be a self-sabotage, I think, with the human condition of when we start to see that, oh my God, these successes and these dreams and this freedom that I always said that I wanted, it's right there. That a lot of times that's where people will retreat. Right. Yeah, it's that Miriam Williamson about we're more afraid of our light being bright than that we're not bright. Yeah, you know, we when we would hold Warrior Two, we would talk. I would ask them. I would try to relate to them in different ways, and also let them teach me, like teach me how to relate. So in, in Warrior Two, sometimes I would say, "What are, what do we feel like the qualities of a warrior are? What is required to be a warrior?" And they could verbalize discipline, a strong mind, a strong body. And so even in moments when they were very uncomfortable, I mean, I was amazed at some of the ways in which they would approach their own practice. There were days when they would be all over the place doing nothing and then, or like flopping around. I'd let them make up poses and they'd make up poses, name things like Tarzan or (laughs) just, they, they were so creative and I tried to give them power. I could try to empower them to know that, yeah, I was coming in and I was the teacher, but this is their practice. So if they'd ask me about a pose, I'd say, okay, let's build up to that. But I want you to know that in order to get to this kind of pose, we have to be very dedicated. And I think that that's teaching them life skills too, right? Like setting a goal, even if the goal is that I'm going to make choices that allow me to not be incarcerated in the future or uh, choosing not to lash out when I'm feeling angry. We would talk a lot about just breathing, like trying to breathe through whatever there was. And if they would let me know, they would let me know, you know, I felt like I went somewhere, like for a minute, I went somewhere, like everything was white. And the beauty of that is I don't really see a separation of them to me, those boys. There are so many circumstances and sociological factors and the truth is, I was like, what was it I was listening to? Some lecture. And said, it's easy for us to relate ourselves to things that feel comfortable. Like if, 
if we are life and life is God and God is life, then God is us and then I am him and I am her and I'm even that person, wait. And it's that, it's so hard. Like we pick where we're comfortable, right? But as you say, walking the path of a warrior, it's like continually being willing to break our belief systems. And that in itself requires so much courage. And so when I see those boys, I knew that a lot of them might be in jail for the rest of their lives but when I would hear that some of them would breathe in their room and like know that they could breathe instead of hit someone or would play around with a pose or I would see a guy like trying 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 to get into a pose and even though we were moving on I'd give him the wink like you keep working on that pose because you're going to get into it and then he would and just to see like they're like yeah like we're so strong but really I think they love Shavasana the most to be honest they would just sit there and loved lying there with the pretty music and or I would sometimes sing to them and I would take requests so that I could sing songs that they felt connected to but their musical choices were often low rider jams <laughs> and I love you that I didn't have the instrument to uh <laughs> to produce the jams that they wanted I'd find Spotify playlists <laughs> and I'd be like okay I got one for you and around you know I was with them a lot on Christmas or uh, Valentine's Day, I was with them, and I really enjoyed sharing the holidays with them. And even if they were on break from school, I would still come in because I think that those are times when people probably Need want to, to know that there's, you know, someone there for them. So that's a bit about that journey. I also, being in that in the hall, I saw people that I knew from outside that I didn't expect to see inside. Um, a girl that lived was kind of our neighbor. And she used to, she used to listen to me practice my guitar and write me love notes and call me rock star lady and drop them off at my, on my dad's doorstep. And they'd have like pink lick lines cause she'd always be drinking punch or something. And one day I saw her in the hall and I was like, what, like, what are you doing in here? And she was like, what are you doing in here? And I was like, teaching yoga. What are you doing here? And she's like, taking yoga. And I was like, I loved that I got to see her again. And I also had... A student that I had worked with in nonprofit in my school program, he was in there at one point. And so I spent months with him. And even just having that previous rapport, um, I called him by his nickname one day that I used to call him when he was in third grade. And he's like, what'd you call me, ma'am? He's like, you can't call me that. You gotta call me my street name. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> but I think, I think I really tried to practice like, yes, I respect you, but like, come on. Like, you love listening to Rihanna and Beyonce love songs. Like, you don't have to be <laughs> Jigs up, so dude. hard all Jigs the time. Up. So I think that experience um, definitely played into how I shifted changing the way I taught in all of my public classes, which brings us back to the, what does it mean to be trauma sensitive, you know, um, yeah. because it, you don't have to be in a rehab program or in the correctional system to have experienced things that require maybe a little bit more compassion or a little more invitation than challenge. Cause I've been in classes before where I've felt almost and maybe at that time it wasn't me listening to myself, but I felt like almost pushed into moving past my comfort zone. And that's a fine line sometimes, right? Like it's good to challenge your edge, but what if in that moment it's not the right time and your instructor is like, do this, do that, do this. And I felt that way in my own practice. And 
it didn't I remember it didn't feel good and I love what you said the other night will you oh, say again about when you're enduring when you're enduring we were because yeah. we were t- kind of talking about this about how when you moved to LA you felt like everything was like power yoga and you know that's that's what I started teaching is power yoga but it was very the way that we were trained and taught is very mindfulness based mm-hmm. like we were taught you get up in front of that class and you do not speak until the words come like mm-hmm. don't have a script don't have an agenda like you teach from presence practice what you're teaching practice what you're teaching yeah you know that's authenticity and so um what one of the things that we learned too because you've got it it is tricky and I think with this is where the authenticity and the presence of a yoga teacher is so critical to be able to to feel the the energy in the room and the vibe of the room and within that the individual students that are in the class making up this collective right because it's different you were saying the energy the other night was different than other right groups that you've had and um so it's this fine line of like you know a lot of times we we stay in our comfort zones now that can cause long-term suffering of just kind of staying yes. in that, like, I'm just going to stay right here in the way that I do this. And as a teacher saying, you know, take a breath in, like, and now just let that exhale, you know, take you. And I talk a lot about, like, it's not forcing, but it's not resisting. Mm. It's not resisting yeah. that exhale. Just see. Just mm-hmm. let the pose be breathed. And if at any time you find yourself pushing through or enduring a pose, no, there's no more yoga. Like yoga does not teach us to endure. The world that we live in teaches us to endure. We're we're great. We're experts at enduring. Right. We're great experts. And, yeah. And we're experts sort of, or we're we good. like to think we are. Right. Yeah. You know. We're trying to be, and, and then that, we're like, why is everything so hard? And that enduring can be that enduring could be um, a violent relationship. That enduring could be the really big paycheck with the super boring job. Right. Like all of that creates suffering. And so, as a teacher, I want to. Uh, assist people in learning how to end their suffering, practice ending their suffering. And so that's usually like always my cue is if you find yourself enduring a pose, like how much longer is this going to be, you know, or you're waiting for something to change, take a break. Right. Now, not everybody does that. They'll come up after Mm -hmm. class and they're like, oh, I know you always say that, but I just can't keep doing it yet. And I'm like, but you know, okay, so here's the victory, right? It's always about finding the victories. Here's the victory. You recognize that you're enduring. Yes, you yes. recognize that you're enduring and there's another choice. Okay, that's step one. Awesome. Yes. Right? Now, step two is going to be, what if you just came out of the, po- like, a, ha- a half an inch out of that knee bend? Mm-hmm. What if you just did that next time? victory you know what if you dropped a child's pose nothing is better or worse but just that awareness around it so yeah just that that enduring the pushing through and you know I'll say like it's it's like this isn't gold shim we're not going to be like slamming slamming bells or barbells around and plates and all that stuff like it's not about picking up so much that you can't put it down you got to drop it that's not Mm -hmm. what this is about right it's about how can we be have that evenness of mind in the intensity, in the joys, you right. know, in the waves of life. Because the waves of life are not going to stop. Right. I loved this meditation that I found, uh, and it's just the way they worded it. It's learning how to respond instead of react. 
And that's so, we're so reactionary in mm-hmm. so many things, especially if it's possible that we're imperfect. And I, so I like in my own practice and when I'm teaching to give people the opportunity to check in with what's the reaction and, and where's the response. And also, am I, am I not trying something because I'm actually afraid? Like when you mentioned BJ in your tree pose that you invite people to close their eyes and you say, what is it that you're afraid of? I love that the way that you even voiced that question because sometimes I think we're not even sure that we're reacting or responding and so to become more aware and I find in some of my classes particularly one of my um, tech it's a corporate class that I teach a lot of engineers and oh my god that's so good oh it's <laughs> great like, deconstructing <laughs> the pose yeah, yeah. Oh, that, in that class I have a lot of fun and I've t- I've told them I'm, I tell them like I'm playing around with you you know the moment I can see that you've memorized side one and you're trying to guess already where we're going I'm gonna change the sequence like, right there <laughs> oh my god so, and do it like differently yeah, on either yeah, side and so in in uh <laughs> in tree pose when I invite them to close their eyes as well I've I've found like, it's like, you know, the face is like, I can't fall, I can't fall. And, and I say, what, what's so bad if we fall? Like, remember when we were kids and we fell out of trees right, all the time right. and it was just part of the adventure. I was like, what's, what is the thing that we're, what's underneath it? Is it that we're not perfect? Cause I'm going to tell you we're not. Like I want to be sometimes, but <laughs> <Right>. I'm not. <laughs> no, news, and, newsflash. And then I'll say, and just try to <laughs> smile, like just smile. Uh, because smiling literally releases tension in your face. And I come back to that a lot in my own practice. And anytime I'm pushing myself, I was take, I took one time, it was a functional mobility class, but it really was so hard. It was like a, a butt kick class. And when I'm feeling really physically challenged, I start to laugh usually or like, Ugh. and the instructor, he said, you know, Shannon is a warrior and you want to know how she's a warrior because warriors start to laugh when things get really hard. Like instead of, and I'd never heard that before, but I try to keep that with me. Like, oh yeah, when it's really, really hard, I don't have to tense everything up in my body. I can respond with laughter mm-hmm. or a smile or acceptance, right? Yeah. Instead of being like, the endurance thing, like, oh God, I'm trying to endure this and it's really hard and like, I want to throw up. But if I can find a, just like a little flicker of... Yeah. of humor in that then well I'm more likely to keep going past the old right the edge. Yeah. 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 comfort zone mm-hmm. but through the comfort zone in a way that's sustainable you know mm-hmm. sustainable and um you know God whatever people want to call that higher source mm-hmm. like I don't know if you've noticed but God's got a really good sense of humor <laughs> yeah. really good sense of humor and in times where like life has brought me to my knees, you know, I just find myself looking up and I'm like, hysteria. Yeah, that's hysterical. Perfect. Okay. Just give me a breath and I'll breathe it because that's all I can do right now. Like really good one. That's hysterical. And if I know anything about you, God, I know you probably have a couple more tricks that are coming to me, you know? It's so true though. And it's, it's, it is, it's, it, this is the game of life. Yeah, this is the game of life, right? And it's kind of fun to get skillful at how to play it. And for me, that's yoga and and meditation have really been the concrete practices that have allowed me to get more skillful and to teach others to do the same. Um, All right. Well, first, I want to ask a question about um, because we had touched upon it and I don't want to leave our listeners hanging, but. We've all got those people in our life, whether it's like the annoying coworker or the guy that cut us off or the person in front of us that's like, how dare they? They're writing a check at the grocery store, right? That like trigger us. 
right. trigger us. So how can we, how can people understand this like kind of trauma sensitivity? Because when I look at somebody who's a quote unquote jerk, which I maintain um, a very strong belief, and I will take anyone to the, I'll talk anyone to the mat on this one, that there are no assholes in this world. There are none. Those beautiful beings that murdered another being is a beautiful being. And they're a part of the <laughs> And they're a part the of the whole. Well. Their yes. suffering is my suffering. Yes. And so how can we be more sensitive as a community to create more connection and harmony, which is what we all want. Right. I, so I, I try to start with, do we have compassion and love for ourselves? And mm -hmm. if that answer we're unclear of, start there. Like, what does it mean to love our shadow and our light? Because I know that for myself, for a long time, I avoid, I felt like the shadow, like you don't want to go there, but you do want to go there because that's like light and dark exists together, right? That you go through the dark, you come back to the shadow. It's like the dark night of the soul. Or I've often said, sometimes life breaks you down to dust so that you can build back up. And so first approaching ourselves and loving even the parts of ourselves that we don't want to love because I, I found in my own life, the more self love, acceptance, and self-compassion and grace I've had changed the way I walked in the world because then I realized that we're all going through something or we all have things. And then I also try to take the perspective that sometimes people are acting through their pain body and what if you remove that action and you remember that at the base we're all the same. And I was listening to a lecture that said it's actually every role that each being is playing is important for the healing of the whole. Even if the role that your soul chose is anger or violence or peace or joy or depression, but that, that you're embracing a piece of the entirety and without understanding those pieces, we can't continue to progress. And that kind of like blew my mind even more. And so... I have, I, I mean, I find myself frustrated with people still and it depends. And so I try to sit back and be like, okay, what am I learning about myself? What about myself is being reflected? And is this my opportunity to heal something within myself? Is it my opportunity to practice compassion? Or is it even maybe my opportunity to create responding instead of reacting and creating a healthy boundary for myself? Because I don't think creating um, space so that your, you know, personal bubble is, uh, in a good way. I don't think that that's, that's bad, but there are very many different ways we can approach a reaction with people. So, I mean, I've, I've been there, right? And I'm like, oh, why am I getting heated? Like, why am I giving power to that? <laughs> because I don't need to. So I really try to respond with kindness, but I mean, I've had situations where, for example, if, if it looks like bullying is happening, I'm not really down with bullying. <laughs> so I'll be like, get fired up and be like, wait, <laughs> like, but if you're getting fired up and then you approach the bully, like, are you then bullying the bully? So are you actually just seeing Because you know yourself? that the bully is suffering. Yeah. The bully is in right. pain. And I think with trauma, and I've been learning more about this just based on students that I've had or people that I've encountered in my life or even relationships that I've had in my life, is that it's easy to look at someone's action and decide that they're an asshole or that they're bad. But I think at the core, we all deserve be like of healthy love. And so not, 
until I began to learn more and realize like that's actually not about me, but how can I respond in a way so that they still feel safe to be who they are because maybe someone that continues to respond in a way was never given space that they're okay just as they are and it just kind of aggravates it if you're continually so I even say sometimes I don't even want to necessarily if something happens and it feels hurtful like a, an, some, a choice that someone has made close into my life I look at like okay if my soul chose this experience like there's something that I want to learn from it but also just send love instead of verbalizing like oh that person this or that person that because I feel like all that being needs is more love they don't need any more negativity sent out into the air and that might be you know like well what do you mean energy and but I do think that the words that we speak they are speaking out they're like we're like putting that out and if energy is you know if energy is everywhere and everything it's important to be mindful of that. So I think just realizing that people react and maybe they're not aware or it's just where they are in their process and looking at my own life of like, oh, I remember like where I did that a lot too, you know? So I try to just practice recognizing what's behind the action, a beautiful being that's on this plane learning and growing and how can I learn from them and how can I hopefully be a part of the whole too in a way that doesn't continue the cycle of, of violence or anger. But it's hard, right? And it's, then mindfulness comes into the head. It's so hard. I, I remember uh, having an experience where I, I just my el- I was just elevated so high and our meditation teacher had me practice the um, peace and harmony. Mm-hmm. So you say peace and harmony, peace and harmony, five times to them and three times to you. And it gets you into this rhythm. And then finally, you keep saying it until you can release whatever that is against that person or thing. Like I can even like, I just, I remember so clear, this happened in in Lake Placid when we spent a lot of time there. Um, I was speaking with an athlete and it just got me so fired up. And so I had to calm down and do the peace and harmony, peace and harmony. And then it was gone. And then I was cycling and I saw like, I saw a truck hit a rabbit. And I was like, okay, peace and harmony, peace and harmony to the rabbit, like peace and harmony. Like you can use it for anything, but it just, it, it plants you, it, I guess what it does is it plants you in the moment so that you can actually like take in what's happening right. and choose to send them love versus choose to elevate your your anger or whatever is, right. is deep inside you. So, uh, and I've given that to a few people too, a few That's athletes, a good one. like oh, peace and it's harmony, such a good one. five to them, three to you. And you just do it until you just say it over and over and over and yeah. until it's like oh, you subside like, until it comes one. down. Yeah. I just remembered a, a visual my mother gave me and she said, when you're in, in conflict with someone or, or met in a place like that, that you visualize like a bucket in your belly, which that could be your dantian or your chi center, your solar plexus, whatever. And that there's all of this loving water in there and it pours and it floods out of you. But because it's this rushing water, you're extending love out, but nothing else can come back in because it's just this purifying. And I thought that was so beautiful because if we can keep peace and harmony, peace and harmony, or keep like, breathe it in, love it out, breathe it in, love it out, or everything is reflected back to you in love. Ways that we remember. I mean, I think about my life and how I took so many things personally 
and cared so much about what people thought. And I'm not going to say I don't ever care what people think. You know, there's a piece of all of us that wants to be liked. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I've also found that the more I've been authentic, the more I've had to be okay with people thinking that they don't like me. And I try to remember if somebody wants a reason to hate someone, they might even create one. But at the core and at the base, like I am them and they are me. And what they might be seeing in me that they're uncomfortable with is something that their soul is asking them and vice versa. Like if I'm uncomfortable, what is my, what is my inner being asking? It's such a big one. And it's hard. The more and more you walk this path. I mean, I probably have, I'm probably at an all time high right now for people not liking me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like you. You can put me on the the pro list. And probably an all time high for people connecting with me. What is it? If you're you're not pissing someone off, you're not doing, you're not playing a big enough game. game. Yeah, we did. (laughs) We did a great interview with this girl, Lex Ferrier, who is a local yoga teacher here. And she's just super passionate and very authentic. And because she's, I mean, you can't not get a full Lex experience when you're with her, right? And like, it's one of the first things she said on the show. She was like, you know, if you're not playing a big enough, if you're not pissing someone off, you're not playing a big enough game. That's what I've learned. And it was funny because not too long ago, I heard her talking, overheard her talking and she was kind of laughing and she was like, dude, I'm banned from that yoga studio. And I'm like, how do you even get banned from a yoga studio? (laughs) It's so hysterical. But like recently I was put on probation at a yoga studio because I was too like, Wow, you know, like two can you I get wait, excited. Wait, wait, that's a real thing. Yeah. Probation and a yoga. Yeah. Studio. I was telling I know it's an hysterical. I was telling <laughs> The um, politics of yoga is not as like calm as ever like yeah. the outside might be. When think. I told my meditation teacher because because I was I don't know, I was making people uncomfortable because I was asking them to you know, notice the tendencies of their mind. Well, of course that's uncomfortable because so then we're very being invited to reprogram. Like, oh. But I'll tell you, yeah. when I told my meditation teacher, I've never seen him so excited. Like, he threw his arms up. He was like, excellent, mm. wonderful. I'm like, yeah, I might lose my job. He's like, that's okay. That's amazing. Congratulations. So, yeah, it's hysterical. Um, yeah, you just... <laughs> You have to be okay. You have to be okay with that. But what I can say to anybody who's like, you know, it it is an easier said than done. You know, when you get that resistance, it's an easier said than done. But what I can say to anybody who's experiencing it or who is right on the edge of that, like, I just need to do what I love. I just need to have my voice a little bit more into the world. Like, do it because you're not alone. Right. Like, send me an email. Right. Send Shannon an email. Like, yeah. send, send BJ an email. Wendy an email. Who we're sitting in Wendy's house right now. Wendy was a guest on our show um, last year. I mean, and I remember one of the things that she said on the podcast was like, I'm done. I'm done trying to like teach a certain way or follow yeah. a certain... She's like, I'm just going to do it the way that I love to teach and, and what is transformative to me. And that's it, you know? And yeah. that really stuck with me. I was like... Yeah, I mean that's that's authenticity. It's it's following our heart because our blueprints are are they're all unique and those boys that are in lockup and those girls that are in the programs they're not off their path, right? They're and still on their path. They never got off mm-hmm. their path. Nobody's ever off their path, you know? But we're creating that path. We're having heavy influence on that path in every moment, every word we speak, those reactions versus responses. Um, we're created, they're precursors to what's, what's coming, you know, what we're influencing, um, for our future. And it's the mindfulness I think is, is so potent and it's, um, and so to kind of scoot into, 
another subject that I want to talk about is is grief, you know, mm-hmm. and how mindfulness um, and meditation can really help with grief. And you, you're probably still very much in this in this mode because you lost a very close friend not too long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you speak about how it's assisted you? I would say, well, the first part is where I can see my mindfulness practice plays into this thing of grief is one accepting that that is part of life and that I don't have to pretend it's not there, but I can be aware that I can go there, but try not to live there. And that's one of the best I think a piece of advice I heard, like when, when we have these feelings that are uncomfortable, but necessary to life and a, a piece of like, yeah, we're spiritual beings, but if we're here, we're wanting to have this human experience. And what comes with the human experience is anger, sorrow, grief, grief, like all of these things. And so thank you for being my teacher and then trying to process through it. But what I found when my my friend Ari passed because it was unexpected and he was in such a beautiful place, but he was young and I, I didn't think it was coming. It actually affected me way more than I thought it would. And so being a yoga instructor myself, being like, oh, I'm so sad, I'm so sad, I'm so sad. I don't want to be so sad. How am I going to hold space for my students when I'm so sad, so sad? Because part of the role of being a mindfulness teacher or yoga instructor is to leave your things outside of the influence of the space. So for me, I learned a lot about the line of, I always want to be authentic. So where can I find that line so that I'm not trying to pretend that I'm a hundred and thousand percent today because that's not real life. Like real, like you said, it ebbs and flows, it comes and goes and it's how we approach it. So I found that for me, the day that I found out he passed away, I went to the ocean and I just sat there and I breathed. I I used my mala, which I'm wearing today, that he had made for me before he left on this road trip. And I just sat there and meditated with it until I felt like I should stop. And a few very beautiful things happened. One, I stopped on a rose quartz, which is symbolic of unconditional love. And while I was there, when I was my eyes were closed, this beautiful baby golden retriever puppy, like out of nowhere, <laughs> came and like ran up to me and cuddled me and just like hung out with me. And I was like, okay, okay. And that's also those moments of humor. Like I try to come back to, there is a purpose, there is a plan. Each soul is on their own path. And so who am I to say like, that's so tragic that that person died because it's actually beautiful. My friend Dean, he said to me a few years ago, my mother's mother passed away from pancreatic cancer and it was a very quick diagnosis to passing. And I was talking to my friend Dean and he said, death is freedom. Like, why wouldn't we want freedom for those that we love? But on the same time, like, let yourself be sad. So when Ari passed, I, I was texting Dean like, because he's also one of my students, but he's my teacher as well. I was like, oh, Dean, I'm so sad. I'm crying every day, like for hours and hours. He's like, of course you are. Like, you'll miss him. Like, we miss our people. Like, we get used to our people, but that, that doesn't mean that we, you know, we can know that it's beautiful, but it's still good to grieve. So for me, a lot of just meditating, but my meditations sometimes look like just taking 10 breaths and letting myself be honest about how I felt that day, yeah. right? Because if we're not honest about how we're feeling trauma, right? It can, it can, if we're stuffing, stuffing, stuffing. So I, I feel like that is a way that helps me. And also understanding that the passing of 
a dear friend, now I get to honor him by living. And how does his passing then encourage me to continue to live a present, appreciative, everyday life? And just to honor, if you can just share a little bit about his story and like, and I mean, how I really describe that, like he freed himself and then he left. Yeah, it's so, gorgeous. It is. It's gorgeous. <laughs> I say I used to say it's tragically beautiful. It the is. tragic is the human and the beautiful is like the reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he I remember the first time he came to my class, he came to one of my gym classes, which I teach an hour flow class and then a half hour meditation. And I was the first meditation class to be put on the schedule. And around the time of the elections, I met with the group ex coordinator. I was like, can we do a just 30 minute oh my God, meditation? <laughs> like, I feel like, I feel like we really need that. Like yeah. there's like a lot going on just in the world in general and in, in our country. And let's just try it for January. And if people come, let's keep it going. And so she's like, of course. And she had studied meditation herself. Like I think she did a thesis on, uh, who is it? Was it Stanislaus Grof? Do you know who Stanislaus Grof Mm-mm. is? Uh, holotropic breathwork. Look at Oh, yes, yes, yes. I took one of his workshops. Oof. Three hours of continuous breathing. Yeah, it's intense. It's wild. It's intense, yeah. And you sit for another person. And for me, the sitting was the most powerful. I, I shouldn't say most powerful, but because sitting, you... holding space for someone for three hours while they breathe and have their experience. Like that is yeah. like one of the men there. He said, I learned how to sit in the hospital with my sister from this type of practice. Cause you just sit there and if they need you, like if they, then you're there. And yeah. if they don't, you're just there. Oh, and that's a whole other thing. Like learning to just yeah. sit in the face of suffering yeah. and being a warrior. Right exactly. There. So, so, uh, so she said, great. Yeah, let's do it. And people would come, but to be honest, that yoga class, I'll have anywhere between 35 and 50 people and maybe 10 to 12 will stay for meditation, but I don't care. Like to me, I'm like, yes, <laughs> we're approaching this space of our mind. So the first time Ari came, it was probably about, about a year ago now, he came into class and I noticed him. He had this like very dignified, like very... He had intent and he had like tattoos and he was wearing, I think he was wearing a Ganesha shirt or something and had mala beads and he worked himself through that, that yoga class. And I remember noticing him and I was like, I wonder who that guy is. I wonder if he'll come back. And he started coming back every week and I thought he had come with a friend, but he didn't. So over time we just started chatting and we just started chatting about life and we were kind of like instant kindreds. You know, when you meet someone, you're like, we're probably siblings or were siblings at some time or best friends in another life as well. So we talk about anything from sacred medicine to like what is religion to nature to hikes to the ocean to anything. And I knew that he had been in the army and he was working in the recruitment office at that time. So over time, you know, he'd come to my meditations and I would, uh, he would chat with me afterwards. I chat with him and then we'd go on our way. So one day I told him, I have this, I have this meditation that you might like, but I'm just going to send you the script because it's kind of intense and I don't, I don't want to use it in the main group in case it triggers anybody, but it's a forgiveness meditation. And I knew that he had lost friends in in the army. And so I sent him the script and then he 
talked to me about it later and he was like, I saw my best friend that died. Because you go into your heart and you see a tree and you, f you look at the tree to see if there are any branches that look like they're dead or dying or burnt or whatever and you follow. And I've done this several times in my own practice and it's phenomenal who you meet there. You walk to the the, ba the trunk of the tree and you see who's there and you have a conversation. The very first time I did it, I had a conversation with myself, which I was like, whoa. And then <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so he saw his friend and, and you say what you want to say. They say what they want to say and you cut the branch off and you say, if this relationship is meant to grow back, it will in time, like in its own way. And so he saw his friend and he was able to say like, I'm sorry that I couldn't save you. Oh, I think the kids are home. All right. This is going to be an adventure. <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> this, is, he, this is the real life part of the podcast. I think Wendy and the kids are home. Yeah. So yeah. he um, he just, I don't know, he would share with me and he started, we would email a little bit and then he was gone for a little bit and he emailed me and said, hey, I, I want to let you know that I am at a PTSD program in San Diego and I don't think I would have gone had it not been for my experiences in your meditation. He was like, you know, it could just be me trying to attach meaning to something, but you would say things that were so poignant. And I thought it was so interesting that you sent me one day an email about grounding practices and I had just taken some sacred medicine and I was like, whoa. And <laughs> so we were just, that was our, our relationship. So his goal was to be uh, retired and he wanted his second career to be a yoga teacher. And so I would talk to him about his process and he had used, like he would drink and he said, but I asked myself like previous to going back to yoga, he was like, I would drink, but I saw the effects of that path of dealing and I asked myself what I was feeding and was it helping and it was never feeding anything good so I thought about what felt good in my life and yoga did so I went back to it so he graduated he said goodbye to all of his teachers in San Jose because he wanted to go to Michigan where he was from road trip all the way back and then in April he was going to Bali to a teacher training and then he passed away in Iowa and here's my, my human. It's so beautiful. And I, so he, he didn't make it home, home to his physical home, but he was already like, he would say on his Instagram, a soldier turned something completely different. And that's what he was. And his name meant God's lion. And, um, the time of like, if you follow astrology, it was like the lion, I think it was the lion's gate that he, right around the time that he passed. So, <clears throat> I think that that too, like that right there, the beauty of mindfulness in how you can see that like trauma, no trauma, incarceration, military, like you find these practices and they have the ability to free you. I often say that I think we're all birds and we just get caged in from time to time, which is kind of like what you said about the, the cages that we have to find the space between the, between the thoughts. But his story is so beautiful because he was... He was completely at peace and free and excited. And he's still teaching people now in his death. Like, I feel called to live. And he was like, people want to hear your music. Like, I want to hear more of your music. I'm like, you're right. Like, I have to keep sharing my music. And the girl that he was seeing, his family told her that she could take his yoga teacher training in his place. So right now she's in Bali. And uh, that's just like, I told her, I was like, I didn't tell you this before because I didn't. I don't know, I didn't want you to get weirded out or if it'd be emotionally charged. I was like, but I know he's going to be there. And she was like, I know, I know he's going to meet me there. 
So the day that I found out that he had passed, I, I asked him to come to my dream. And this is so beautiful because it's totally that space of um, meditation when you, it's like the point between waking and sleeping, like, you know, where it's like, mm -hmm. just like a flash sometimes and you're like, oh. And I hear, you know, when you hear about people who've had near-death experiences, it's kind of a similar a similar place. So I was like, oh, okay, Ari, like, after I'd gone to the beach and meditated and the puppy had come and I was like, unconditional love, like, ha, 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 like, I get it. And the other beat on the mala that he gave me is a snowflake obsidian, which is about, like, mind, body, like, balancing of everything out. And he actually inspired me to get more serious about my meditation because he was like all about it. And when he was in his PTSD training, he was like, I've been practicing yoga every day. And I've been thinking about you and I've been getting all the guys to do yoga with me. And I was like, yes, like I just, that vision of all of these like um, men, like going through the most traumatic, reliving their most traumatic experiences, getting up in the morning and, and doing yoga. And because I know that that's such a beautiful way to process. So in my dream that night, I, he, he was in a car accident in a wild snowstorm in Iowa and um, I saw in my dream space kind of like what looked like a car accident but I didn't actually like see his face but an explosion of, of white light and he said um, we all came from this and it's okay like you can let go and I was like like okay 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 so my human side it's still like a process because he was so beautiful but I never would take it back because I'm different now. So, yeah, I think I'm yeah. different now. <laughs> I think I'm different now yeah, too. Yeah. It's such Change a like that. you know, it's such a beautiful story, and it's such. Yeah, I was just saying this in my yoga class yesterday. I don't know where it came from, but I just said, you know, one yoga has taught me many things, and one of the things that it has taught me is that like living is not my right. Yeah, it is my gift. And yeah. it is this gift that continues to, so far, it's been given to me every moment. Right. And so through my practice of yoga, like, I don't want to miss any more right. of those moments. Yeah. I don't want to miss them because I know that the next one's not guaranteed. Yeah. Just the one that I'm in right now. And um, I'd love that you were saying, like, you asked him to come to your dreams because a lot of times before I go to sleep, I'll say, allow me to be conscious enough to ask for what I need in my dreams tonight. Yeah. And a lot of times like I'll, I'll be there, you know, very lucid and talking to guides and things in my dreams and stuff. But, um, it's, yeah, all of this stuff is, I mean, we are multidimensional beings, yeah. you know, experiencing many different experiences yeah. in every moment. Um, but the one that we're most grounded in is this physical reality. And, mm -hmm. uh, I just love his story. I love that we were able to honor him. I love that he, really set himself free and then really set himself free. Yeah, and I think the Ari that was in Michigan before all of this, he had like a vision um, before he went into the army and then he went through this whole process and I'm going to read to you something that he, he said to me. He said, I, I think more than anything, I learned from trivial moments, different for everyone. The funniest thing is that there's nothing to learn. We're all already here. Yet despite knowing that, we search and search. And I mean, he was profound and sassy and he'd be like, I'm angry today. But he was so like honest, you know, like he would say like in yoga sometimes, like he would tell um his girlfriend, like, some days I'm just angry. And they'll be like, oh, I need to get out in nature. Like, oh, I need to, like, go to yoga. But he would tell uh, Steph all the time, like, take the 
uh, buy the ticket and and get on the plane and take the trip. Like, if you don't love something, don't do it. Like, life is short. If you don't love it, don't do it. And I was like, Steph, he bought your ticket. Like, you just have to take the trip to Bali now. And so there are all of these beautiful unfolding things. And I think it's amazing that where he is now, like his girlfriend was like, you know, you were sacred to him, right? And I was like, yeah, I know. Like we never really said it, but you know, I kind of knew. And uh, his brothers came to California and his mom for his military service in Monterey. And two of his brothers came to my class because they wanted to go to his favorite class with his favorite teacher. And I was like, oh, don't lose your shit, don't lose it, don't lose it, don't lose it. But also it was like a piece of him was there and they were just like, they shared stories. And I learned that he used to wear like skirts and was a goth. And like, that's not the Ari that I met. But like to see like he was such an example of transformation and so much transformation in a short blink of 28 years. And uh, so I think through that, you, you shared in the Bhagavad Gita, what is the line? Yeah, I found this random note today in the junk drawer, and um, it was my to-do list. And one of the things that I had on my to-do list was circled. It said Bhagavad Gita chapter 11. And then I flipped over the paper, and I had just written, and I don't know if this comes from the Bhagavad Gita or not, but I flipped it over, and it just said, love death as much as you love life. Yeah. And I think that that's such a beautiful lesson that I gained or a gift that I gained through this is that previously I, f I feel like I've experienced death of like family or like friends have lost people or I've lost family members. But a lot of times, I don't, or like if it was an older family member, but this was such a shock. And the reality is, is I didn't know if, even if I was allowed to grieve after, like the, the spiritual side of me felt like I should just be happy. And so I think that that is a really important takeaway for myself and something that I was able to share with my students is that, look, like, yeah, we can understand that that's beautiful, but the human side of us needs to let ourselves feel like you have to let yourself feel sad. And for me, it was very uncomfortable to be like, I showed up to a couple classes. I tried to teach a half hour after I found out and I just lost it. Started crying in the parking lot of the tech company. <laughs> and I like called, I was like, I can't teach. <laughs> so people started coming and they're like, you're going the wrong way. Like what's happening? And then they saw my face and I didn't even sugarcoat it and say a friend of mine passed. I said, my friend died. I just found out. And they were like, oh, like people, we don't know what to do sometimes. And I think some of the most beautiful things, the responses I got was like a hug, or then people started to share with me their beautiful stories of losing people that they loved and how it inspired them or influenced them to live a different way. And at the end of the day, it reminds us like, yes, every day is a gift. And I checked in and reflected on my own life. Shan, are you doing everything that you really know in your heart is your purpose? And are you giving yourself space for those things? And why do you do anything that doesn't feel good? And I think that sometimes it takes a huge, like traumatic or a huge unexpected change to kind of push us back in there. So death is beautiful. Death is freedom, but death is very hard. And I think it's important for us to be more comfortable talking about grief because yeah, go to yoga and like release and like feel good, but like go and be super sad and just cry. Like his girl, Ari's girlfriend came to my class the week at like the Sunday after. And I knew like she'd probably be crying the whole time. But I thought like, what a strong, brave woman to come to class after tragic, like losing the person that she loved 
And but she did. And then I when I announced it to the class, because I felt like we should honor him. I wasn't ready to say it, but I said it anyway. And they went up and like hugged her and like even at a gym in San Jose at this fancy like a, a high end gym. I talked about death and then we embraced each other. And I'm pretty sure some people are really uncomfortable. And I think some people, it was their first time and they never came back to class because they're like, that chick's if crying. this is going to happen all the time. This was an end of the description. You're lucky you didn't get put on probation. <laughs> but yeah, so that's my, that's my story of grief. And Ari, Ari translate, uh, translates as God's line. And I think that that's so beautiful because he was such a, like, a force of, uh, like, be who you are. And like, yeah, why not? You know, he was like, it's Own scary, it. but like yeah. F pain, F fear, mm -hmm. F heartache, just like live. You yeah. Know? Just so, live. Exactly. I, yeah. I love it. I think that's probably a good place to end. Although I felt like we could talk forever. It's so beautiful. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. And you only too. do the things that you love and only do the things that, you know, fill your heart. And it's okay if yeah. people aren't always excited about you <laughs> we should we should start um sharing with each other all of the places we become on probation <laughs> like, i'll text you i'm on probation here now <laughs> i know how about you, how Bring you to the group. it's a sure sign of progress people awesome shannon thank you so much this thank has been you. amazing amazing I remember the first time I read the Upanishads, which is an ancient spirituality text, and I told my teacher, now listen, I'm not ready yet, but when it comes, I'm kind of excited to die. That may sound crazy, but from what I know, the wisdom bombs I've received and some experiences that I've brought on in my life, they all reassure me time and again that there is nothing to fear. Death is freedom, and it's a gift for the living. It is a bold reminder that life is precious and while we're here, we may as well do what we love. I know it can be crazy to even think about what the first step is, but just know that we've been there. I've been working one-on-one -on -one with more and more of our listeners in mindfulness and meditation coaching. And so if that is something that intrigues you, please shoot me a message and let's clear up the clutter on the path. And to me, that's such a beautiful way to put it. You know, we're just taking out the trash of our minds. We're clearing up the clutter so the path is more clear and we can act with more confidence. We're going to be up in Santa Rosa this week for Ironman, you guys. So if you see us around, please come up and say hello. It's so cool to meet our listeners. I'll be easy to spot because I'll be with Clark and I will also be sporting our Yogi Triathlete tank of one color or another. BJ is racing. He's number 113. So if you see him out there, yell loudly, people, because we want to go to Kona this year. And don't be disappointed if he doesn't yell back, because between myself and our meditation teacher, we have BJ sentenced to a one-pointed focus, and that's it. Thanks so much for tuning in, you guys. We are in deep thanks for your support. And I know I say that a lot, but it's true. Thank you. This podcast is about purpose. Serving mine, BJ serving his, our guests serving theirs, so that we can all serve together. And that all includes you. So keep going. Keep showing up for yourself. Take one small step, or maybe a step deeper, into the direction of something you love. Life is just a series of moments, and each one we get to live is a gift. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste another one. <laughs>